History Through a House. A look at British history through the doors of Longlands. Giving you the facts, not just in the history books. With your host, Isadora Martin Dye. Hello, welcome to History Through a House. I'm your host, Isadora Martin Dye. You are in a room with my husband, Ben. I am Ben. And our cousin, Adam. Hello. All right, so quick chat about what's been going on at Longlands. We have been doing dun-dun-dun sandblasting. And by sandblasting, I mean soda blasting because obviously we're trying to be as gentle as we can. It's had mixed results, and some of it's come up looking fantastic. Some of the beams were not quite in strong shape as we were thinking. However, we didn't really have a lot of choice. Unfortunately, all of the layers and many, many years of latex and shiny paints that had been put on top of a lot of the most historical elements of it are are doing damage. So we actually have to remove that stuff, even if it means we risk some of the things behind it. We've done our very, very best, and we're really pleased with, I think, how much we, how little damage we did. And on an exciting news, having now finally studied our cross-hall passageway in great detail to see whether we would soda blast it, and we have decided we will not. So what we found was a whole load of witch's marks. So we stopped the sand blasters from blasting the witch's marks off. Yep. And they didn't touch the panel at all. And they're very, very cool. I've posted a couple of photos of them on our Facebook, on our website, because I've been asking Reddit with some help on identifying what they actually mean. A couple of them are fairly normal concentric circles, and then one is very different. Once I've got a few more ideas as to what we're looking at, I'll do a special episode on them, and you guys can learn what we know. Although that might have to be a quite visual one, so you're going to have to go check out the Instagram or the website for that one, too. They're relatively mm-hmm. new things, aren't they? Is that what you said? Witches marks? Not new in the sense of they were put on their new, but they're new in the sense that people are discovering. So, yeah, one of the things that Her- English Heritage did a couple of years ago was asked people to actually record the witches marks in their houses and send them in. And they had thought that they were fairly rare things, and the response that they got was absolutely overwhelming. And they've actually told people to stop sending them their witches' marks until they have got on top of the ones that have already been sent in. However, the majority of them are circles or concentric circles or this kind of daisy flower pattern, which was intended to trap the spirits. A couple of the ones we have are slightly different, so it'd be interesting to learn more. Initial thoughts are that maybe they are something to do with Nordic runes. Which would be pretty cool. Why, why would they be that? Uh, apparently they look like a stacked Nordic rune in a pattern which they may have used as a warding. I don't know, it's all really new. Alright, not what we're really talking about today. What we are going to talk about today is Roman infrastructure. I like I like Romans. <laughs> we're still, this is episode three of the Romans, so it is. Um, I'm okay with that. And we also hate concrete, which is going to be a bit of a topic in this episode yep we're going to talk about so really what i promised at the end of last episode is that we were going to talk about how uh how things would have looked in devon at this time because last week was a really cool episode where we did warrior queens but they were very much situated on the east coast of england not the west coast of england so i went on a thorough deep dive search to find out what it would have looked like in hennock at this point in history? And the answer is, if you think the Dark Ages came after the Romans, you're totally wrong. Apparently, the Dark Ages of Devon are in exactly the period we're talking about. Sweet. Yeah. 
every single map ends at Exeter. Now, oh, well. the weird thing about that is, is that we know the Romans didn't end in Exeter because there are evidence of some Roman forts down into Cornwall. But apparently, reality is, they never went that way. They got to Exeter and they stopped. That's what they thought. What do you mean that's what they thought? All right. Well, no, they definitely got there and then stopped. They didn't think that they stopped there. They did stop there. Well, they did. They stopped there and built a city, but that wasn't where Roman influence finished. Okay. We briefly, I think, talked about Ippelpen, which was the place just down in Newton Abbott. Mm-hmm. And the archaeological discovery there, so we're going to go into a little bit more detail on that. But what we're going to talk about is the infrastructure because the reality is is while there aren't any primary sources as to what was happening in Hannock in Bobby Tracy we are just outside a major city and there are a lot of sources to show what was happening outside major cities elsewhere in the country and in the Roman Empire so you can extrapolate a little bit of information as to what that would have looked like even though we were legitimately where we are sitting right now would have been considered the borders of the very end of the Roman Empire Pretty cool. Yeah. All right, we're starting off by talking about concrete. Is it one of those things where they just got, like, they got basically bored of continuing to spread outwards, or did they, like, is there any history of Romans in Ireland? No, they were scared of the Irish, much like the Scottish. Oh, okay. Because I think it's a, a common thing that people think that Hadrian's Wall was built to keep the... The Romans out? The Romans out, but it was actually built by the Romans to keep the Picts from... Him. Giving the them Scots in, yeah, to keep the Scots in because they were generally considered quite a terrifying bunch of people. Okay, concrete's not going to be a long one, but it is really important because actually this was a big Roman invention that the Romans brought to England and gave us really the basis and the building blocks of being able to build houses and monuments that stood for a lot longer. Up until this point, we had been building in stone. And they had been using kind of a lime putty, but it wasn't necessarily like concrete. So the Romans did it differently as they did everything. Okay. Um, Roman concrete was normally faced with stone or brick and interiors were further decorated over the top of the concrete. So it's somewhere between a concrete and a plaster. And it's actually almost identical as to what we're going to put in the old house, which is why it's such an interesting thing because we've been removing all the modern concrete and now we're going to start putting this ancient form of concrete mm. back on. That's very cool. Concrete generally is an aggregate and it's a, usually based on what you have in the area at that time. So modern uh, Roman concrete would have changed depending on where they were building. So if they were building near the ocean, it would have had a lot more seashells in it as the kind of the sand and the aggregate there. If they were building more here, it would have been a lot more pebbles and granite rock shards that would have been in it. Roman was also able to make it so that they could set concrete underwater, which was a piece of technology that did not come back into England after the Romans left for a very, very long time. They don't know when Roman concrete was developed, but by 150 BCE, they were already building huge monuments. And some scholars believe it was developed a century before that. So, it is a hydraulic mortar, primarily lime. 
quick climb and gypsum, which is what we are going to be putting back up. It is a very soft concrete, so therefore it doesn't degrade the stuff around it. And it's quite alkaline, so therefore it doesn't eat it in an acidic way. Romans also made it using volcanic dust, which sounds really cool. Um, and it, the volcanic dust is actually, even now, more resistant to salt water than modern-day concrete. People are actually going back now to using that kind mm. of concrete because they've realized how much better it is. So the hydraulic mortar would go off depending on what its rate was, which is something we're seeing here because you can actually buy like hydraulic lime. You can buy it and it's rated two, three and a half, or I think six is the other standard one. The softer it is and the longer it takes to set, the lower that number. Okay. So generally, if you've got the time and the patience, you should always go for a lower number because you have a more breathable, better quality lime at the end of it. But if you're building underwater, that's when you need to go for one of those higher, much quicker setting concretes. That's the only time you would use a higher setting concrete. Uh, I was actually talking to Dave. Dave's our builder. Um, I was actually talking to Dave about it today because we are choosing to use a 2 or a 3.5 for the house. And he was saying in France, everyone uses just the quickest setting one because they don't care. Are they just not worried about the moisture? I guess not. It's maybe hotter. He's also based in the south of France. Yeah, so that's what I mean. It's a different climate. Yeah. You're probably not so worried about moisture. Same thing content. in the states, right? I mean, like in this, I mean, we don't use the same sort of lime-based concrete in the states, but our con the concrete that we use does set pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and modern day concrete does here. It's just you can't put modern day concrete against no solid surfaces like walls of stone, stone, wattle and daub, because they need to be able to breathe. They haven't got any internal cavity to allow moisture to evaporate. By the way, on the subject of the wattle and daub, I totally have to do a bit of an episode on what wattle and daub is and where it came from. Um, it sticks in mud. Mm -hmm. Rocks. Rocks. Don't forget rocks. Used it to make walls. But we found some wattle and daub that had one of the local historic dudes who came out to make our life wonderful. It... Uh, he was absolutely going gaga over it because it was the quality that this particular cement was, mm -hmm. uh, wattle and daub was. Okay, so that's my little bit on concrete. It wasn't very interesting, but it does actually stick very closely to what we're going to be talking about that we're doing on the house. Do you, Sorry, do any of the, you said the Romans were building monuments in mm -hmm. concrete. Do any of those still stand in England? In England? Uh, yeah, we've got the Roman baths in Bath. Mm -hmm. I mean, that being one of the more kind of Complete. Complete okay. structures. But London's got quite a lot of full Roman buildings. Okay. Generally, the thing about lime or anything is that it works quite well whenever you preserve it. But the moment you don't preserve it, it turns into goo again. It turns into dust. And people didn't really care once the Romans left about preserving it. No, of course not. It wasn't until, I believe, the Elizabethan period that anyone gave... Well, Exeter, if you walk around Exeter, they sell the massive Roman wall. Yeah, exactly. So, and they have some Roman buildings in Exeter that you can walk around. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of standing Roman buildings in the UK. All right. Next up, because this is a really kind of, not bitty episode, but we are going to talk about the nitty-gritty, how Romans would have lived their day-to-day -day lives. Nitty-gritty-bitty. Nitty-gritty-bitty. We're going to talk... Nitty-gritty-not-bitty. Nitty-gritty-not-bitty. Okay, we're going to talk about Ippelpen. 
Now, the reason we're going to talk about Apple Pen is because, firstly, it's local. I mean, we're talking a few miles away from us. Secondly, it's a bigger it's a bigger town than Hennock, but it's not too dissimilar in size from Bobby Tracy, which is only a few minutes down the road, and really, Hennock's a satellite to Bobby Tracy. It's also the only real archaeological dig done west of Exeter ever for Roman stuff. It was found by, there were a couple of guys who were doing some, you know, amateur metal detecting, and they found a huge hoard of Roman coins. This was, so they found a huge hoard of Roman coins about 10 years ago now, and they eventually got permission to dig, you know how hard that can be around here. And as they've started digging, they've unearthed Roman coins, a stretch of Roman road, remnants of vessels from France and the Mediterranean, which showed evidence of being filled with wine, olive, and fish sauce. It's a high-quality town. This is not some backwards... They didn't find a couple of coins, and it's some backwards suburb. They found an entire town here, mostly under a field, not even where the town is currently. And they've gone on further and dug, and now they've even found things like a butcher. They found a 4th century abattoir. They have found tons of stuff. The remains are mostly just heads and feet of cattle, which suggests that the cattle were raised locally and butchered when they were at the prime age for producing high-quality beef. So because they were only feet and head there, they've got to assume that the rest of the body was sold off. Yeah, makes sense. And only being 20 miles from Exeter, they would have obviously had a huge army there to feed. So it wouldn't be against the grain to say that Bobby Tracy could have been one of these towns too. Obviously, it's got a huge history of farming. Um, all right, so farming, because that's what we've got to assume is what they were doing. Okay, I found a lot of my information on farming from a website called Roman, romaniobritain.org, okay. which... Is that but a real it, website? You know what? Org, but anyone can buy a .org. It is a .org. I, look. Romaniobritain.golf. <laughs> I didn't find this as a particularly, I didn't go looking for the provenance of this website. It did not seem like the world's most professional website. However, it's got to be said that it probably gave one of the clearest descriptions of Roman farming. There was another article I read which really specified the fact that people focus on villas they find a big villa they want a mosaic floor but all the evidence I'm sorry what does this have to do with the farming the villa well all the evidence suggests that while these villas did have estates and farms with them the majority of people were farming without having built a villa gotcha. they were just farming. they had a normal hut like a round house and and they were farming but it's not kind of romantic enough yeah not Roman enough, I guess. So yeah. no one's bothered really looking into what that means from the perspective of your average... What Roman, what Roman farming meant. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, I do think, put a really good argument together for it. It wasn't very well sourced from the perspective of primary sources. But I think that that's to do with a lot of what even I'm doing in this episode is extrapolating information by logical and informed guesswork. Dash of speculation. Yeah, what is it, journalistic? Not integrity. Not integrity. There's a word for it, speculation. Yeah, the, thing, the word I just said. I don't know. Dash of speculation, that's what we're going to call this episode. Cool. 
All right. So Roman realizations and a dash of speculation. <laughs> okay, I quite like that. Roman realizations and a dash of speculation. High five, Ben. We Thanks, guys. I don't we have to now. We carried our weight for this I episode. don't actually have to spend hours coming up with some stupid now. ass. <laughs> um, yeah. Good done. Okay, bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Romans set up a tax known as Anona Militaratus. The Militaris. paper tax or the stamp act. Or T. It was none of those things. Oh. But what it was was a tax that was put on farmers where they had to pay a certain amount of their produce in kind to the army yes. to feed them. So it wasn't a commercial tax in the sense of coinage, but a certain percentage of what they had to do off the top had to go to the army. It was set up by a guy named Septimus Severus, so I just thought Ben would enjoy that. Ben loves taxes. He also loves anyone named Septimus Severus. Sure. I so, mean, yes, but I, I'm st- I was thinking about the stamp tax still. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go America. It's easy to it's easy to get stuck on. Take that, Britain. Um, and then it got reformed a little later, where it was actually it was actually a very unpopular tax, as you can imagine. It was one of the reasons why Boudicca had such an easy time getting everyone to revolt. It was reformed a little bit later where it was actually calculated by the assessment of fiscal units based on extent and quality of land, type of crops grown, number of settlers and cattle, and the amount of equipment. So it was reformed a little later to be a much fairer tax, Mm -hmm. which gives my impression to think that this earlier invention, not invention of it, this earlier intonation of it, was unfair and just kind of i was gonna i was gonna ask if you could go into that a bit because we did talk about a few episodes ago about how they the tribal britain had started creating the basis for what would become serfdom Mm -hmm. where you had people living around a a a fortress and they were donating their money to the standing or their not their money but their produce to the standing army so that must have been a much more that's later was that later? Okay, I it's, thought it it started. That's what, it was like the basis of. Yeah, but what really this was what we're moving into is serfdom here. Okay. Um, or basically slavery, and I mean, let's face it, the Romans <sighs> had a pretty poor reputation when it came to slavery. Mm-hmm. So, the farmers, while having an issue with the amount of they were being taxed, actually had a huge market for the first time. One of the things we're going to talk about a lot is roads in a minute. And the reason for that is beforehand, they would have been selling basically to the people they could have reached, which wasn't a really big network of people. Now, suddenly, not only have they got Roman roads traveling through, which allow them to be able to get into major cities quickly and easily, they have military coming over, they have Romans coming over. The population in England took a huge increase. So they actually can make quite a lot of money Farmers were actually, and, and farmers weren't looked down upon in the Roman Empire. It was considered a a good career. In, in some ways, being a gentleman farmer, as in, you know, having your vineyards and a few apple trees was what every Roman aspired to do. So with the building of new towns and big settlements, people were in a more concentrated area. This also meant that there were less people working the land which is a bad thing. 
But with that, there were less people growing their own produce. They didn't have these small settlements where they were able to raise one cow and then look after it Mm -hmm. and kill it and eat it. It was getting easier for people to move into town. And Romans really encouraged people to move into a concentrated area. It worked for them. But it made it harder for the farmers to actually farm their land. So it created really the first farming revolution. I guess the second, the first being when they put up fences. But the second farming revolution, where beforehand the fields were plowed with a odd type plow, which is basically a heavy stick pulled by an ox. Mm-hmm. Later, the Romans added a cowtler to the plow, which would help rake up the soil before the plowshare would turn the soil over. If you don't know what that means, if you think of a plow, before you get to the bit that digs the furrow, there's usually like a V thing to help break through the earth. And that was what the Romans invented. Some pretty hefty technology. It really was. Thanks, Rome. That sounds pretty cool. So it made much easier to cut a groove in the soil. It meant that they could do it much quicker. And there are very few plows that have been found because farmers don't tend to throw equipment in a ditch. They tend to get it back reused, refurbished, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But all you got to do is look outside Longlands or look in Virginia, and you can see the plows that we're using almost look exactly like the plows. It hasn't changed at all. They just got reused and reused. They also introduced two-handed scythes made for cutting off the top of cereal crop and better quality axes, and which meant that woodland could be cleared faster and turned into farmland quicker. In the sense that it was they were better made or they were made of better materials? I would assume both. both. I would also assume that they've got more people making them. Ah, yes. So you're just getting the tools out quicker. Mm-hmm. It was not just the tools that improved. The Iron Age era brought the introduction of spelt. A form of Sorry, what? One more time? Spelt. Spelt or smelt? Spelt. S-P-L-E-T. Yes. S-P-E-L-T. That's what I meant. Yes, spelt. No, I meant spleet. Splet? Spelt. I know what this one is pronounced like. This is a flower? Yeah, it's basically a form of wheat that was suited to the damp climate of England. It allowed for a winter sowing as well as one in spring, so you got double the yield throughout the year. They also introduced a whole load of other stuff. By the way, the Romans are responsible for nettles in this country. I There's know. no poison ivy, at least. So. Echoing the sentiments of everybody everywhere. They also brought in other things like they think walnut trees. Uh, yeah. And a few other different bits and pieces. So they brought introduced a ton of different plants here. They were growing rye and oats and turnips and parsnips and carrots, which were all pretty new into the country from the Romans. And it gave the animals more fodder to eat. So they could feed them through the winter so the animals could keep growing throughout the winter and they didn't have to pull everything in the fall. So they were getting much better. Farming was rapidly improving. It was becoming more intensified. People were getting fed more. People were paying more for food. And generally, farmers were seeing kind of a a boon at this point. Mm -hmm. And certainly in Longlands, everybody that we have in who knows stuff about historical architecture is impressed by the level of money that was being pumped into the house at this, not at this point, but really not long after. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're talking 200 CE to like 400 CE. Okay. And it wasn't much long after that that Longlands was founded in the great scheme of how long we've been talking. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, this brought its own problems. 
they had never learnt to store cereals for the winter. So the Romans taught them storage on how to put, uh, what is it called? We we go see it where they do it with grains for like whiskey and stuff. Distillery? Yeah, where they, where they malt. So they taught them how to malt grains and dry grains mm. so that they could actually use them for more and throughout the year. They needed a lot of timber. So actually timber farmers became very popular and very wealthy in Rome. Uh, you were able to... In Rome and in England? In Rome and England. Rome and England, okay. So they had to make... Uh, they had to make a lot of new buildings. They were constantly building. Mm-hmm. So those that were stonemasons, timbers, carpenters, were seeing a huge boost in their income. And again, moving trees is really, really hard when you're moving them through a forest, but suddenly you put a road network in, and it becomes a lot easier to move a big piece of timber. To earn the same amount from the sale of wheat, a farmer would have to sell the crops from a five-hectare field to earn the same amount as a fir tree would fetch. Just to give you an idea as to how much money Timber was making. Mm-hmm. was in, And this is the comment from the Roman Romano-Britain.org. This was something <laughs> of a short-sighted method for making an income, though, as the landowner would get an initial income from the sale of the wood, but then would have to wait for the trees to regenerate before more could be sold. Mm. They had yeah, already that's how trees work. <laughs> they had already started the practice of crop rotation at this point. I think we talked about it a little bit, where... They were finally starting to understand farming. It wasn't long before this, maybe a few hundred years before this, that they'd started making growing crops versus just farming animals and foraging. But the Romans had made a science of it. They had been, let's face it, they had been doing this kind of stuff in Rome for about 500 years before they got to England. So by the time they got there, they really got crop rotation down to an art form and they just walked in and told people how to do it and they encouraged them to let the animals grave off the stubble which we still see around here Mm -hmm. when they cut something they let something grow and because that would keep the weeds down and fertilize the soil it would also mean that the field could do double duty and they were managing to make sure that farmers were doubling. Between all of this stuff, pretty much food production in the UK doubled at this point, which is a huge revolution if you consider how long it had taken them to go from concentric causeways, yeah, where we were 4,000 years ago, to having a field. Mm-hmm. The farming revolution, and not only did the farming revolution massively increase during the Roman times, while everyone considers post-Roman age as the Dark Ages, actually the farming stuff stuck around. Farmers aren't stupid. They're not going to lose the knowledge on how to create more crop quicker. So Romans actually set field sizes, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't know this, but they set a field size that was determined by the amount that one man could plow in a day. So they set this area, and they were actually quite, demanding from the level of production that they wanted from people. Mm -hmm. People at this point had generally been farming enough for themselves and a little bit to sell. Now, suddenly the Romans were actually teaching them how to make it into a career, I guess. Make it commercial. Yeah, make it commercial. So that's what would have been going on around here. Well, what's the... That makes sense. So when they set field sizes, Mm -hmm. is that like a field size for 
Like, what does that mean? So I get the impression that it was constantly evolving, much like the taxes. Yeah. So that maybe the field size was one hectare. Right. And then they realized, well, actually, one hectare in East Anglia is going to produce is a whole different ball game than one hectare on the side of Dartmoor. Was it how much they the farmers were expected to to work? Was it how much land a farmer it could was, own? It was set at a standard which deter- was determined by the amount that one man could plow in yeah, one day. That makes sense. So the the the, the size of the doesn't isn't yeah. what I'm confused about. My conf- my confusion comes from why did they set? I think the, for crop rotation. Okay. So that people want. Okay, I wasn't sure if they were limiting the amount of land that no, one a single farmer could own, or if they were limiting. They didn't take land generally. Mm. I will say that certainly down here in Devon, they didn't really get involved in. It didn't sound like yeah. The average person's well, they life. They didn't even get this far. Really. They didn't really care. Yeah. They wanted their food, mm-hmm. but the day-to-day running of all of this stuff, they kind of just left to. Yeah. And that had been their attitude from the beginning, if you consider client kings. Yes. And client queens. Their whole attitude was, you pay us a tax, we'll defend you, but generally we're going to leave you to it. Mm-hmm. And down here they had not had a massively fierce battle, and it was a fairly peaceful... I mean, if you remember us talking about it, they kind of just fairly peacefully walked in and set up Exeter. Yeah. Uh, so I think to the general person... They would have almost barely noticed have, it changed. Yeah. Now, it is important to note that we are talking very much in conjecture here for what was going on in this area and in Hannock. There is definitely evidence of Roman activity in Bobby Tracy, but I'm going to give you some evidence as to why I think it should have been and would have been much more Roman activity than they found. But also, in they have found two Roman coins in Hannock. Okay, so they have actually found two Roman coins in Hennock. And I think anyone that meets people in Hennock would know that probably if they dug up a Roman coin, the general person in Hennock would throw it back down where they found it and carry on. Because most of them are farmers who couldn't give anything about whether the Romans were in Hennock or not. No. But these two coins, let me tell you a little bit about them. They were recorded by a woman named Dr. Eleanor Gay, who recorded them fairly recently. She's actually a curator for the British Museum. But they were discovered in 1837. So they basically just sat in the British Museum waiting to be recorded. They have been dated between 269 and 271 uh, CE. So according to this, chances are they were minted somewhere after the Valerian period. And I thought I'd just give you a real quick hit about who he was, because actually this date seems to be, for whatever reason, this 270 CE, I also read about a road that used to run through Hennock, a Roman road that used to run through Hennock at this point as well. I don't know where that was sourced. It's really hard to find any evidence of Roman roads past Exeter, although we know Roman soldiers were moving past Exeter because there are forts there's no evidence of where that road system went now we know that some goes through Ippelpen because they found it but it was never mapped that road they didn't know about it until they dug it up so Valerian was emperor in 253 CE to 260 CE and the reason why I want to tell you about him is because Edwin Warren wrote about him in Helena 
She said, do you know what has happened to the immortal Valerian? They have him in show in Persia stuffed, because he was the first Roman emperor to be caught in battle, captured and killed, and then he was put his head on a spike oh, in they, Persia. Oh, they taxidermied him. Well, they put his head on a spike. Oh. They may have taxidermied him. I think she was taking some artistic license there. Yeah. But he was the first Roman emperor to, and apparently it really shook the confidence of the Roman Empire when he got yeah, taken. I imagine it would. And hit. So there is evidence that there were Roman people up here, Roman trading mm-hmm. up here. There is, the coins were super degraded. These weren't in someone's private collection and then dumped. They were in the ground for that long, which is also why they can't put an exact date on them. They. Which isn't also doesn't prove that they were ever like hanging out for a long period of time around here. No. So let's talk about why you could potentially argue that this trackway was quite important. Mm -hmm. And then we'll all get metal detectors and we'll go and have a look. Okay. Road surfaces in in Roman times. Concrete. Okay. Road surface. Okay, so let's be honest. Roman roads are the thing, right? Everybody has heard of Roman roads. That's one of the things that they were most famous for was their roadways. Mm-hmm. Adam rolled his eyes, so I'm assuming this is not as popular a thing. I mean, I'm sure it was something that I learned. I just don't... I, They're I, known for making these very long, straight roads. I have zero retention for that period of my life. Okay, so they, they had a standard road construction. They found out a way to build roads that worked for them, and they basically stuck with it, which is why it's so easy to identify a proper Roman highway. Like, obviously, there are trackways and things like that that people would have used on a day-to-day basis, but the Roman highways were very, very standardized. Mm -hmm. The road occupied a wide strip of land bounded by shallow ditches, varying in width from 84 meters to... Or 84 feet, sorry. Wow. 84 feet. 84 meters is massive. Varying in width from 84 feet to 330 feet, which is massive. Yeah, that's almost 100 meters. Mm -hmm. And the trunk roads in England, which are exactly what they sound like, the big roads that would have run up and down the middle of England, were usually about 26 feet wide. They're still in use today. And they are still in use today. Many of them are the motorways that we travel. They just grew and grew and grew. The center of the carriageway was built on a raised um, gravel topsoil mm-hmm. after they shaved off the topsoil. They used sand and sandy gravel, two strips of ground between the Aegea, Aegea? A-G-G-E-R, and the boundary I'm, ditches. I'm sure. I'm sure. The two strips of ground between these were used by pedestrians and animals and were sometimes lightly metalled. So there were footpaths alongside the road Mm -hmm. for animals and things. And then the road itself was built for oxen, carriages, chariots, and horses. The metalling was usually in two layers, a foundation of medium to large stones covered by a running surface, often a compacted mixture of smaller flint and gravel. One quarter of the road pavements were bottomed with large stones, Mostly in the north and the west, where stone was more readily available. So down here. Basically, again, they built with what they had. Mm-hmm. Down here, there's a lot of granite. They would have been bottomed with a lot more big stone. And they would have lasted a lot longer. Um, in Italy, some high-status roads were bound together by volcanic mortar. 
Again, I love that they use their volcanoes for good. Around here, they have actually shown part of that was part of Ipapool. It was actually a limestone mortar. Ipapool pen. Ipapool pen. Switch. Ipapool pen. So, there's a couple of really big things about Roman roads. One of them is that they had a mansio. Mm, that every, is pretty big. Yeah, approximately, approximately every 20 miles they had a mansio. It was the typical day's journey for an ox-drawn wagon, and they had a full-scale wayside inn with large stables, tavern, room for travelers, bathhouses. They had places to get your horses shod. It was a proper roadside services. We have those on motorways now. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. They had smaller ones every about four miles, so just in case you had an emergency. Mm -hmm. But these big ones were... Like, Basically, like almost a village. About almost a village, and about every twenty miles. Now, if you take that, they've discovered twelve of them in the UK. Okay. None of them are past Somerset, coming down this way, which means that very logically, we know that there are at least two roads that run into Exeter. Mm -hmm. There's at least a few in Exeter and around Exeter that have never been discovered, and. By that logic, if you look further past Exeter, as people were traveling, they would have also expected these services too. As it is, Newton Abbott is about 20 miles on the nose from Exeter. Mm. So to have a space in a village that would have brought, been brought up around side these, same with Bobby Tracy. Bobby Tracy is 20 miles on the nose from Exeter. They show that a lot of these um, waysides <laughs> became villages after the Romans left, or... So they know that there were a lot of these waysides and where they were sat based on a book that was written by basically the first travel book. writer. Yeah. First tourist destination author. Yeah, I believe he was a pilgrim though. Ah. And he was doing a pilgrimage and he wrote the very first book, but he didn't come to England. He wrote about these waysides and gave people ideas what to expect. And, and he was the one that said basically there are very structured long Roman mm -hmm. roads at every point. And, but he never came to England. So no one ever really recorded the ones in England. He recorded almost every single one, and he gave it ratings in oh. in Europe. Hmm. But England never kind of got the same treatment. So it's a guessing game in England okay. as to which one of these stood. I'm actually amazed by how little research has been done into this. Yeah, that sounds kind of like it could be a pivotal bit of Roman history. I mean, yeah, I just think that it, surely you could map out the original Roman roads or the Roman roads you knew about. Mm -hmm. Know where the major hubs are. Mm -hmm. Work along those Roman roads every whatever mileage and look at how towns developed along those Roman roads yeah. and work out whether there was any correlation. Yeah. I'm sure someone has done it, but if they have done it, I have not been able to find it. Mm -hmm. And I have been looking. Interesting. And I've been looking for anyone that's bothered to research Devon in the Roman period. Well, it's weird because, like you, like you said, when you were doing research for the Iron Age, all of that whole period is couched in, well, this happened, but the Romans were coming anyway, so yeah. whatever. Um, so it's weird that, like, while they're here doing things, this sort of just... Devon was just in a real dark ages, and it really doesn't seem to have become a 
it still doesn't seem to have become a period of study. I mean, I'm a huge, obviously, I went to Exeter University. I did my history degree at Exeter University. I'm a huge fan. And I think they have a wonderful history department. And they do a lot, a lot of the research I'm doing, purely, not purely coincidentally, but mm. one of the major reasons I chose to go study at Exeter was because they are involved a lot of this research and they are one of the universities that's at the forefront a lot of this stuff. And yet, and they're involved in the Apple pandemic. They are the university attached to the Apple pandemic. But it is amazing that they're not trying to do more. And I was getting really, really frustrated about this. And then I did find that, in fact, they have been using Exeter um, and Devon. They've been using the COVID lockdown as an excuse to learn more. And they've actually had a really cool thing that they've done. Do you know what the L-I-D-A-R is? Nope. I kind of know what it is because... Um, I know what Fiddler is, but that's... I know what Lidar is, but it has to do with golf course mapping. So, yeah, it, it actually is a... Okay, you've seen Time Team. Yes. So, Geophys. Yep. It's basically Geophys. Gotcha. But they do it from the air and they do it from satellite. Now, it's not as uh, detailed, obviously, as Geophys, but what it... And it was built, I believe... I believe it was made to discover where floodplains were so they could see where it was most susceptible to flooding. Mm-hmm. But they have used it to find, I mean, it, because it removes basically trees from the equation, they've used it to find these amazing ancient monuments in the Amazon rainforest and all over. It's been used now to make huge archaeological discoveries. Now, what they've done during COVID has asked everybody to go online in Devon using the radar finder and by the way the one i'm using if case anyone wants to do it is www.lidarfinder.com you type in your postcode and it shows you on the top half of the screen it shows you the satellite and on the bottom half of the screen it shows you the actual contrast image so you can look at what's around you and actually look for any prehistoric landmarkings in the thing and they've been encouraging people to go and do this, and they found a ton of stuff already. So they found evidences of hill forts. They found evidence of settlements that they didn't know existed. The plan is once lockdown's over, they're actually going to take the time and look at what the people have been submitting and finding and actually go out and start finding, getting permission to dig all of this stuff. So this, to me, is really hopeful that maybe they're taking... Maybe Ipplepen has inspired people to look deeper into Devon mm-hmm. and see what has been going on in the Roman Empire. So I have started doing it, obviously, because, you know, all the time we've got in our lives. And so far I've found nothing. Ah. I was really hoping I could be like, and I found a Roman fort in our field. Yeah. No, I haven't done. But it is really interesting. I really do encourage people to go do it. Okay. That was a whole lot of very, like, practical information today versus kind of emotional people. In fact, we barely talked about people. Just some farmers. Just some farmers. Lives got much better, but also much harder. And unfortunately, for the sake of history, they are going to pretty much remain nameless farmers. Uh, Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. Works out like that, usually. Yep. They fed the Roman army, and they get none of the glory. So... We are moving on. Next week, we are going to... By the way, this was us basically doing the Roman Empire, unless there is anything that you guys particularly want to learn. Like, for instance, do you want to learn about Hadrian's Wall? Sure. 
there a Hadrian to all of the South? No. Is there is there any is there any signs of people coming over on boats to down here? Not in this point. Why? Why would they have stopped? I mean, like, I know Ben asked at the beginning of the episode if it was just like they got to Exeter and they were like, "Why would we keep going any farther south?" But I mean, obviously, someone came through here carrying them Roman coins. Yeah, so and they just... did go further south. This is what I. There is evidence of Roman forts in Cornwall. Well, can we talk about that? About that then? Please? Yeah, we can certainly do it. It's just there's not a lot for of whatever them. reason people haven't studied it. Mm. They haven't studied. Lit, I will show you a Roman map when we record this next time, and you will see that all the roads lead to Hexter, and then there is not a single road going down into Cornwall, and the number of Roman villas massively drives up. There's almost been no Roman villas discovered like to you, the southwest of us. Like you said, us. like people were there. Well, villas aren't aren't the. I mean, they're not they're not the most practical, right? No. Like if you're a Roman farmer, you're. Like you said, going to build a roundhouse or a long hut or what, whatever. Well, you're a British farmer and you were already living in a roundhouse. Yeah, house so like, or a why would you? You wouldn't be able to afford to build a villa anyway, probably. So of course yeah. they're going to not be around. So, and because of that, people just basically, I guess, it's just not sexy enough to go there. Yeah. Well, then my next question too is like, so these villas that were being built were being constructed of this lime, this new lime mortar. Well, maybe concrete. that's what we'll do. I'll talk a bit about. I'll talk a bit about. The vague, the vague forts further down yeah, south. Yeah, that's and maybe I'll tell you how a villa looked. Yeah, because we do, we are covering a lot of the north and the north. Yeah, like obviously East Anglia we've talked about yeah. extensively because that's where they landed first and fertile farming and all that stuff. But like Devon isn't a desolate wasteland. No, it's, I don't know why the Romans. I think that it was honestly. I think that you think it just went unrecorded and then it just fell. Like, I think it was peaceful. Mm. Oh, that yeah. They just walked in. I think it didn't... was peaceful. There was no big battles down here. No major rebellions. No one really. I mean, kind of like Devon right now. Very sleepy. Take how Devon's dealing with Corona. Yeah. Everyone in Devon's just like, eh. Yeah. Devon's very very sleepy. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just how they dealt with the Romans, and because there weren't battles, because they weren't fighting, mm -hmm. just no one bothered to come down here and record. Yeah. But like you like, but even like the number of Roman settlements drops drastically yeah. in the southwest. Which as is, far as they know, which is yeah, as far as been has been yeah, explore been excavated or whatever yeah, which is sort of interesting in and of itself. Yeah, so we'll talk about how a Roman settlement would have looked actually, because you know what, I am very sure that when I do the research and I look into it, it will again, much like I said. Yes, lots of bits of Roman stuff were lost when they left. Yeah. But there were many bits that people kept because practically it made a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there's some stuff in the Roman architectural villas that were new pieces of architectural technology that maybe they kept. Right. For instance, like I know archways were invented by the Romans. Mm -hmm. I mean... Aqueducts. Aqueducts were invented. No, yeah, aqueducts were mm -hmm. invented by the Romans. They did do. They brought us a lot of stuff. Yeah. So maybe some of it's made it into longlands in particular, but right. into Anglo-Saxon architecture because that's what we're moving into. Mm -hmm. We're going to move into Ang post-Roman, the Angles and the Saxons, and the Vikings. So, 
Get your last kingdom on, people, because that is how I'm learning to pronounce the names of the period of history that we're going to be coming into. Uh, the, and so one last, and we'll, yeah. we'll probably go into this next week now that we've completely changed your direction. I didn't really have a direction Perfect. for next week. Um, you're welcome. I didn't know how much of this I was going to get through this week. Yeah. So I didn't know whether I was going to be just the dragging this on tonight. The week stuff too. that they've found in Cornwall, mm-hmm. like the the vill- or whatever the villas or whatever they found in terms of what. Roman Fort, I think. Okay, how similar are those in construction to the ones in the north? I think fairly pathetic, but I don't okay. know. That's why I'm saying okay. I I don't think that there's a ton of information on them. Because we could more, probably more easily extrapolate information from a fort found in Cornwall than a fort found in wherever else. Yeah, but I'll try and find the more local Roman villas that have been investigated around here, and we'll use those as an example. Thank and you. And look at what we're doing yeah. there. Um, guys... Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't checked out Legendary, go check it out. This week we are talking about Joan of Arc. What was that last week? I don't remember. (laughs) This week we're talking about Joan of Arc and Adam's talking about D.B. Cooper. So that's a really cool history one. And my husband, Ben, has The Swingdom, which is a golf podcast. And it's really funny. And It is. About golf. It's about golf. But if uh, it's also not really about golf. No, what is it about, Ben? You guys, it's, it's you and Ghana. It's about how angry we get at professional golfers. <laughs> because they're playing golf being professionally. On, for being on Instagram instead of practicing golf. Yeah, well. How dare they? How dare they? All right, guys. So uh, thank you for listening to us. If you enjoy it, please subscribe. And guys, I know that there's quite a few of you, and I'm really excited by that, but there's quite a few of you out there that listen to us every week. I want to hear from you. It's historythroughhouse at gmail.com. If you've got something to say... You want to correct me, you want to laugh at my pronunciation, you want to tell these guys that they're idiots. (laughs) More importantly, if you have something you want to hear in the Roman era, tell me about it before we close up shop on that one. Yeah, or yeah, any notes that you might have or thoughts. Yeah, anything you want to hear. We're really open to stuff. I love doing the research. We are going to at some point come on to a period of history where I'm not learning everything new every week because thankfully it's stuff I studied Mm -hmm. in my degree. We're getting there shortly, but I don't want to leave this topic uncovered and questions left just to rush through to the stuff that I'm most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So if there is anything that you want to hear, make sure you email me at History Through a House or find us on Instagram and let us know. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, thank you so much for listening to History Through a House. If you've enjoyed what you have to hear, please go onto iTunes and rate and review us. Also, we love to hear feedback, things that we may have done wrong, stories that you know that are interesting that we should cover, or houses that you know that you think we should cover. You can find us on Instagram at History Through a House Podcast or on Facebook at History Through a House. You can also email us at historythroughahouse at gmail.com. We really want to he- hear your feedback and we're really excited to get to know you. Thank you. Bye.